GM, I'm Matthew Diemer, and this is GM from Decrypt. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today is Thursday, February 9th, 2023. And I want to say thank you to my buddy Jeff, who heard my call, who's going to provide us with some clarification on why a prosecutor wants to delay a civil case in order to do the criminal case for SBF first. I think that's how it went. Anyway, this is what Jeff says. First, the disclaimer, like a typical lawyer. Thanks for getting the fine print in there, Jeff. <laughs> I wonder if I'm going to get a bill. <laughs> anyway, he says, hey, I'm a lawyer. I do not practice any criminal law, and I've never been a U.S. attorney either. That said, discovery, what you can find through written requests and depositions, etc., is very limited in the criminal context. To oversimplify it, in a criminal case, you rarely get the chance to take someone's de- deposition, and the prosecutor has an obligation to turn over any materials that would be helpful for the defense. In a civil case, however, discovery is much more wide-ranging. You can send written questions for information, ask for documents, and take depositions. And all that is done with the rule that as long as it is reasonably calculated to lead to the discovery of admissible evidence, you can get it. While that standard varies by jurisdiction, the general idea is that in a civil case, you can ask for a lot of things that are not necessarily admissible to a trial, so it's very broad. However, SBF, perhaps, the criminal folks are worried because that there's a lot more that they can get in a civil case. They want to put that on ice so that they can limit their disclosures as to what is required in a criminal case. FYI, this does come up in our personal injury practice, although we are usually trying to delay the civil case because of the problems the criminal case would present to us. If we have a client who was injured by a drunk driver who is criminally charged, we would want to wait until that criminal proceeding is over before engaging with the ride-ranging discovery. Why? because the defense would object to every request on the ground that it would violate the defendant's Fifth Amendment right to avoid self-incrimination. So if you took their deposition in a civil case, all you would get is an objection to every single question. I hope that helps, and keep up the great work. Jeff. So basically what it looks like is that in a civil case, you can get all kinds of information, and if a criminal case is proceeding at the same time, they'll just object to it all because of the different rules of what you can get and how you can get the information. And so you'll have a lawyer just in there, object, 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 and nothing would move forward. If that's the case in the SBF case, then okay, makes sense. But my real question is, is this fair to the defendant? Is this fair for the rights of the defendant? That's my other question. We'll get to the bottom of that too. Now let's get to the bottom of those crypto prices. The time is 9.19 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have Bitcoin sitting at $22,762, down 1.4% in 24, while Ethereum's at $1,640, down 1.8% in 24. Tellers number three, Binance is at 321, down 3%, and USDC is number five, running off the top 10. We have XRP, BUSD, Cardano, Doge, 
and Matic. Matic is up 2%. Doge is down 3.4%. The total market cap is sitting at $1.07 trillion, which is down 1.5% in 24. We have a BTC dominance of 41.2 and an F dominance of 18.9. And really quick, some Bitcoin and Bitcoin exchange news. There's a Bitcoin address that has not transacted in over a decade since October 1st of 2012. And the wallet just finally moved 412 Bitcoin. And how much did all of that Bitcoin cost back in the day? Eight bucks. Eight dollars. How much is it worth now? Nine point six million dollars. That was only a 120 million percent increase. So congrats to them. I hope they cash out and they do something great. Also, we have Bitcoin Exchange. I'm going to call it the Bitcoin service. Local Bitcoins is set to close this month in response to the ongoing very cold crypto winter. He said this in quote, We are very sad to share that regardless of our efforts to overcome challenges during this ongoing very cold crypto winter, we have regretfully concluded that local Bitcoins can no longer provide its Bitcoin trading service. Trading will be suspended on February 16th, after which users will be able to log in and withdraw their crypto. If you don't know, Local Bitcoins is one of the longest-running Bitcoin exchanges slash services and is based in Helsinki. Local Bitcoins offers a peer-to-peer and escrow service for users looking to buy sell Bitcoin via traditional bank transfers and cash deals across multiple currencies on a global scale. It started 10 years ago, and it's averaged around 5 to $7 million in weekly volume trading over the past four months. It got up to like $100 million at one point, but right now it's around 5 to $7 million. Now, you're probably wondering, well, isn't that enough to sustain? Isn't that enough money? Well, if you're a normal exchange and you're taking maker and taker fees of 0.15%, well, then you would be making around $10,500 per week, which for one person or a very small team, that's, that's enough money, right? Well, that's not how it works with local Bitcoins. Their transactions and their trades are free. People sign up. Basically, it's a matchmaking system. You just go on there and you say, hey, you got some Bitcoins. Our other person says, hey, got some Bitcoins. And they, su- they facilitate the transaction. And this is all free. They do take 1% of a trade if you run an ad. I don't know what the ad is. I don't know if it's like a commercial ad or an ad for selling your Bitcoins. But that's where they make their money, it looks like. So if that's the case, then it looks like they probably don't have that much income. I would assume that Jeremiah Kingas, the founder of the service, is doing quite fine. Probably bought Bitcoins for that 8 bucks back in 2012. And he's just killing it. But does he really want to go out of pocket to keep this open? I don't know. I would be very surprised, however, if some old school Bitcoiner who has some nostalgia, doesn't scoop it up, keep it alive just for nostalgia's sake. We'll see what happens. Moving into our headlines really quick. I want you to groove on this. This is our headlines music. We've been using the same music. I've been using the same music for, what, 800 shows already? And here's the story of that music. And I don't know why I'm telling you this story. Actually, I I wanted to tell you on Monday, but I kept on forgetting. So it's Thursday, and I'm finally telling you this story. So we're talking about me and the former editor-in-chief, now current CEO of Decrypt. We're talking about making this show, I think, back in, what was it, June, May of 2020? And so we were talking about it. What was the show going to be like? I'm like, we need a daily crypto news. There's nothing like this in the space. This is what I usually listen to. And he came back with a GarageBand produced using some GarageBand samples of this music. This is exactly what he put in there. There's no changes. This is the first thing he sent me. He said, hey, how about this music? 
It's been there ever since. So if you hear this in the background, this is from Jazz Quitner, the CEO of Decrypt, with using his GarageBand skills back before we even started the show, and it's been there ever since. Now actually into our headlines. Crypto ATM provider CoinCloud has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. CoinCloud was one of the first movers in the crypto ATM space and is launched around 2014 by its current CEO, Chris McClary. It operates primarily in the United States and Brazil. The company was the second largest ATM provider with around 12.6% of the total market. That was behind Bitcoin Depot ahead of CoinFlip. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. As per the filing with the Nevada bankruptcy court, the company has liabilities between $100 million and $500 million. Who is the biggest creditor of the company? <laughs> well, here we hear Genesis again. The defunct crypto broker, it owes $100 million in uncollateralized loan to Genesis. And if you have been listening to this show since at least March 12th of 2021, which there's probably a couple of people here that have been daily listening to us for the past going on two years since then, at least. Um, we did an episode on how to own your own Bitcoin ATM. So you can go back in the day and check that out. Don't know how much of that is still relevant. Don't even know if the company still exists, but <laughs> we did an episode. By the way, when we're talking about bankruptcy, when we're talking about companies closing down, Disney is laying off 7,000 workers. Zoom is laying off 1,300 workers, and a CEO is taking a 98% pay cut, which then the stocks rise. And here's another thing I want to throw out there. The truth about the 5,000 jobs created. I don't know the amount of truth in this, but this is another way to look at the jobs creation. Everybody's saying that there's so many jobs, but we look at the news and we hear layoff and layoff and layoff and layoff. So when the government is looking at seasonal jobs, you know, the Christmas jobs, the holiday jobs that are around to sell Christmas trees or needing to staff up because of that time of the year. When those companies decide to cut those seasonal working staff, the government was looking at three million staff lost across the country. And so what had happened was is 2.5 million workers were lost, not three million. So the government says, oh, well, we didn't lose three million. We just lost 2.5 million. So therefore, we created 500,000 jobs. I am not too sure about the validity of that statement or the validity of that rationale, but I've read a couple articles that says that's how they're measuring it, which if that's the case, that's some BS. Can anybody validate that? Let me know. Matthew Aaron at Decrypt.co. Brian Armstrong said in a tweet, We are hearing rumors that the SEC would like to get rid of the crypto staking in the United States for all retail customers. I hope that this is not the case, as I believe it will be a terrible path for the United States if it was allowed to happen. Staking is a very important innovation in crypto. It allows users to participate directly in running open crypto networks. Staking brings very positive improvements to the space, including scalability, increased security, and reduced carbon footprints. Staking is not a security. We need to make sure that new technologies are encouraged to grow in the United States and is not stifled by lack of clear rules. When it comes to financial services and Web3, it's a matter of national security that these capabilities are built out in the United States. 
Regulation by enforcement doesn't work and encourages companies to operate offshore, which is what happened with FTX. Hopefully, we can work together to push clear rules for the industry and come up with sensible solutions that protect customers while preserving innovation and national security interests of the United States. Charles Hoskinson replied, Ethereum staking is problematic. Temporarily giving up your assets to someone else to have them get a return looks a lot like regulated products. Slashing and bonds, not so good. Non-custodial liquid staking, on the other hand, is like mining pools we've used for 13 years. LP Capital 13%er tweeted this, My brother in Christ, staking makes crypto a security. No one likes the rules, but they are the rules. Your useless ballot here does nothing, and your casino is going to zero. What do you think? Does staking make a crypto a security? Well, to determine this, we have to look at the Howey test. So what is the Howey test? Howey test is used by the SEC to determine whether a transaction constitutes an investment contract and therefore a security. What does this test evaluate? Four factors. An investment in money, number one. Two, it's in a common enterprise. Three, with the expectations of profit. And four, from the efforts of others. And so let's take a look at Ethereum. One, is it an investment of money? Mm-hmm. Common enterprise? Yep. With the expectation of profits? Uh, no, because you could be using it for a utility. Until you stake it, then you are looking at profits from the efforts of others. Who's running the validators and is the network being built on and worked on? And are they trying to create a better product? Therefore, more people will use it. Therefore, expecting more money to come into the system. Therefore, more profits. I don't know if profit is the motivator. That's the thing. But when you are looking at staking to get a percentage, then what do you think? Matthew Aaron at Decrypt.co. I want your opinion. All of our favorite stock buying app, Robinhood, said on Wednesday that it will try to buy back the shares from FTX and Sam Bankman Fried. Remember, Sam Bankman Fried is holding a hell of a lot of Robinhood at 7.6% stake in the company. The CEO of Robinhood got the green light from the company's board of directors to purchase, buy back roughly 55 million shares from FTX, Sam Bankman Fried. And so because they made this decision, their stock price pumped around 5% after hours trading. So where are the shares right now? Can Vlad just go over to Sam's house, Sam's parents' house, actually, knock on the door and say, Sam, here's $450 million. (laughs) Can I I get those shares, please? No, that's not how it's going to work. Right now, the U.S. Justice Department has taken custody of those shares. At the time, they were worth $450 million. I'm not too sure where they were right now. Let's just take $11 times $55 million, and we'll get that answer. $55 $55 million times $11. It's $605 million. There's your answer. And finally, since starting this podcast to now ending this podcast, remember we started with Jeff and I told you about the criminal and civil case and discovery and SBF and why they want to pause the civil case to do the criminal case first. Well, I sent an email to Jeff and Jeff wrote back because my question was, Is this fair to the defendant that they're going to stop the civil case, which has more discovery? He said this. That's a tough question. It's insofar as in the criminal case, the obligation to disclose information on the prosecution more so than the person charged with the crime. And in the civil case, obligations are equal. So what is happening here is that the criminal folks do not want SBF using civil processes to get an even greater advantage than what he is otherwise entitled to. That's the way our system's set up. A lawyer answer, I know. Jeff, so 
basically, I'm going to read it between the lines. I'm going to maybe put some words in his mouth. That's the way the system's set up. No, it's not fair to the defendant. Because it looks as though discovery is not equal. The ability to find information to either prove his guilt or innocence, or maybe some nuance to the situation, is sitting over there behind civil case procedures. And the criminal case is using different ones that is just stacking him up to be guilty. Now, like I said, I'm not defending SBF by any means, but I am asking the question about our legal process. What do you think? Matthew Aaron at Crypt.co. Thank you for listening to this episode of GM. I'll be back tomorrow. And until then, happy hodling, everyone.